0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Recently, I had an interesting realization and I walked into this place called a gym and uh, I felt like I had landed in another planet. Within about a minute, it occurred to me that like the way that I feel walking into this space, I bet it's It's like how a lot of other people feel the first time that they come into a church building. They have all this like inspiring art, you know, around these images of like these perfectly chiseled bodies. And they've got all this like music that's there to pump you up. Kind of like some people would say the church does. They have uh, their own furniture around. It's just kind of equally uncomfortable. They call theirs exercise equipment. We call ours pews. They've got this... Like sacramental food, kind of like us. Theirs is protein shakes, and everybody's carrying them. And uh, they've got their own language, this like shorthand that only makes sense in the gym. They're talking about like you know squats and sets and getting ripped and deadlifts and stuff like that. They even have ministers, and they call them trainers, but they they definitely have have ministers and leaders there. So in 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 some ways, uh, a gym is like a church. And it seems to me that how it felt for me to enter the gym for the first time, that's probably a lot like what some people experience the first time that they walk into a church building. You know what I'm saying? On the other hand, I think that there are some big differences between a church and a gym as well. I think the big one is is this. You don't go into the gym to see anybody, okay? Most of the time, if you go into the gym, you prefer not to talk to anybody at all. You go to get a workout, and maybe get some selfies of your, of you know, of you in the mirror. You like flexing your tries or you you know, putting your calf up or something like that. Um, in fact, I noticed that the the first few times that uh, I went and I talked to somebody in order to ask them how much, like how to properly use a machine, they actually like avoided me and said like just go ask the trainer. Like that's their job. It totally turned me away. And it seems to me, it's a unique kind of community in that it it really thrives by asking very little of us. They want you to have a nice time when you're there because if they don't, like say you have to wait a long time before you use a machine. Or say there's somebody who's asking you too many questions. Well, you get unhappy, you're dissatisfied, you post negative reviews online and you take your business to another gym. Like nobody's committed to their gym committed to getting a workout, but they're not committed to their gym. We're customers of the gym, okay? And it seems to me that uh, a church should be so much different from that. But I think a lot of us, we actually bring to the church the same sort of expectations that we have of the gym. You with me so far? The same sort of expectations we have of the gym or of Costco or of, like, Amazon Prime, or CAA, or any other thing that we could be members of. And this thing is culture-wide. Whether we realize that or not, whether we are religious or or secular, whether we are rich or poor or young or old or male or female or any other distinction, this thing is everywhere. We are all affected by it. And there's a word for it, consumerism. 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 Now, we've talked about consumerism here in this church uh, before a number of times. In consumerism, we, re- we relate to the world as customers who want the greatest benefit for the lowest cost, okay, at the lowest price. And we judge things based on what it costs, we judge it based on what its price is, what it costs me, and what I get out of it, whether it is worth it to me. And so lots of people are, are writing great, helpful things about uh, consumerism. One is a, a Roman Catholic theologian. His name is William Cavanaugh. I really like what he says about consumerism. He says, what's happened in consumer society is that dissatisfaction and satisfaction have ceased to be opposites. Pleasure resides not in having, but in wanting. Insofar as an item obtained brings a temporary halt to desire, it becomes undesirable. Interesting. Consumerism is typified by detachment, not attachment, for a desire must be kept on the move. Consumerism is also typified by scarcity, not abundance, for as long as desire is endless, there will never be enough stuff to go around. I so agree. Within consumerism, there is never enough stuff to go around. It's endless. Another uh, writer who I think has had some helpful things to say is a church planter. His name is Sean Cross. He says, consumerism is so ingrained in our lives that confronting it is like rejecting the air we breathe. As a society, we don't simply consume to live. We live to consume. There's a collective void inside us that we attempt to fill with newer, better, more. But here's the thing. Study after study reveals it's not working. Most data, in fact, suggest the opposite. The more we consume, the less satisfied and fulfilled we feel. Again, I just think that's so helpful. The more that we participate in this thing, the more that we consume, the less satisfied, the less fulfilled, the less content we are. And, and this is a good time for us to have this conversation because for these, these three weeks, we're trying to recover contentment and, and real satisfaction and, 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 I guess, trust that what God has given us, what God has done for us, is enough. Last week, we began by seeing that God has met our need for truth and for importance and transcendence by giving us his own words. But today, what we're asking is if consumerism... We're a real problem for us. Would we know that? Would you know that? What, what is it that makes a Christian community such a gift so that we could say that it's enough? Today, though, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in this passage in Romans 12, probably a familiar passage, but I think it's just so, so important. Just to remind us, and get us situated in what Paul's thinking is, he says, and I'm reading from the NIV here, Paul says, And as we begin, it's just really important that we get aligned on the fact that what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to explain how Christians worship. Like, you're made for worship. Here's how it's, here's what it's going to look like. And as he, as he walks us through the rest of the, the text, we're going to see that this kind of worship that he's inviting us to do actually happens in community. It happens in community. So what happens in this sort of community? I'm going to share a a number of things, again, right from the text. The first thing that I think happens in community is, number one is, we learn the right way to judge. Okay? We learn the right way to judge. Now, that might not sound like a great thing, because we're taught that judging isn't a nice thing to do. Um, We're taught, in fact, that it's like the worst thing that you can do. But in community, we learn the right way to judge. And the apostle says... For by the grace given to me, I say to you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, there is a right way to judge. Like, it's possible to judge yourself too highly, and if you do, you're not using, like, sober judgment, okay? On the other hand, if you are too self-critical and too self, like, deprecating... It's, that's not better because that's not coming from faith. And so being in community is important because it's where we learn to judge and to see ourselves by faith the way that God sees us. That happens in community. And I want to pause here for a second and because I just want to encourage you to just ask yourself, what kind of a difference would it make if you could see yourself the way God sees you? Okay. What, if, what, would it, what difference would it make in your life if you could see yourself as God sees you instead of how other people see you? What if you could believe what God says about you more than you believe what other people say about you or what you yourself say about yourself? Imagine if you could believe what he says. Imagine if you could believe his judgment about you more than anybody else's. Would, would that make a difference in your life? Would that change things? Would that be enough? Something else that happens in community, number two, is that we learn how we are related. We learn how we are related together. Paul says, uh, in in the next section, he says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All right? right. we belong to one another. We're a body, Paul says, and each of the members of the body, each body part belongs to the others. In fact, I just encourage you to pause for a second and just like look around for a second. Look at the people around you and say, say in your mind, like, wow, I belong to these people. I belong to these people. And also say to yourself, like, they belong to me. We belong to each other. And it's true. We relate to each other as like as interconnected, interdependent parts of a body. We are many and we are one. And each part of the body does its part. We all do our part uh, for the sake of the body. And if we don't, if we're not if each part of the body isn't doing its part, if we're not all participating, then the body can't function as a body. And that's something that Paul said elsewhere. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, God has placed all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Think about that. God has placed you exactly how he wants you to be. You are where he wants you to be. You are in the place. You are when he wants you to be. And he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so a Christian community isn't like any other kind of relationship that you might have. We don't relate to co-workers this way. Even as close as you might be with your coworkers. We don't relate to the you know the the staff at a department store this way. We don't relate to our kids' teachers this way. We don't belong to them, and they don't belong to us. But in a Christian community, it's understand it's understood that we do. We have this relationship of responsibility to one another and for one another. And so I'm just gonna invite us to pause again. Think of what a difference this makes. Especially for those of you who might feel like you're invisible, and I know that that's a thing. Those of you who might feel like you're unknown, and this says we're actually related. We're interdependent. It says you matter. Each part matters, and we can't do this without you. Again, I just think that's so helpful. Well, third thing that happens in community is that we learn to practice our gifts. We learn to practice our gifts. So uh, Paul goes on and he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If it's prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so in community, community is a place, it's an environment where we try it out, okay? We try out our gifts. Sometimes it goes great, but most of the time, in fact, at first, it feels like maybe you're not that gifted after all. It feels like there's any number of other people who should be doing this thing and, instead of you, but whatever your gift is, we try it out. We practice it because every gift should be used. The Apostle Peter said something similar. He says... In 1 Peter 4, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then he goes on and he lists a number of gifts. If anybody speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so if all of this is true... That, that, the, that the church is a place where we learn to practice our gifts and where every gift is important, what that means, it seems to me, is that a church community with 50 people who are still figuring it out, 50 people who are still finding their way and learning how to use their gifts but haven't quite arrived, that church of 50 is more of a church than a church where there's a couple of rock star leaders and 48 passive audience members. Are you with me on that? The first is more of a church. I would take 10 uh, mediocre, untrained, servant-hearted people over that rock star any day of the week. Because that's what the church is. It's where we are learning to practice our gifts, okay? This is number four. In community, we learn how to love. We learn how to love. Okay? Here, what Paul is saying is that a Christian community can be identified by what it loves and what it hates. He says, love must be sincere. That's interesting. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And that all sounds great. It's perfectly reasonable, except you and I know we don't always love what we're supposed to love, right? We don't always hate the things that we're supposed to hate. A lot of the times we love things that we're supposed to hate and we hate things that we're supposed to love. In fact, some of the things that we think we love, some of the people that we think we love, we may not really love them that much uh, after all. And so Paul shows us what love really looks like. Love is sincere. It's sincere. You, co- you can't fake love. And we, we hate evil. In verse 10, he says, love means that we are devoted to one another. We honor one another. We're zealous for one another. In verse 11, we love with joy and patience and faithfulness. In other words, we learn how to love better and more authentically in community. We learn to love better and more authentically in community. In fact, think of of this. One of the ways that we can know that community is working is that some of the things, or maybe some of the people that we used to find detestable, we now love. And that some of the things that we used to love, some of the things we used to value, we now realize they're not that valuable anymore. Maybe we find those things detestable. That's a good sign that community is having its effect. That community is working for you because in community, we learn how to love. Well, there's a fifth thing that happens in community. Number five is this. We learn how to share, right? We learn how to share. In this kind of Christian community, we we believe that what's ours isn't ours in the sense that we get to control where it goes, okay? It's not ours to hold on to. It's ours to share. It's ours to bless others with. And the Apostle Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And so it's interesting. In community, we help each other with all kinds of needs. Like we share our material goods with them. We practice hospitality. We share our homes with others But we also share with other people in terms of their emotional needs. We bless those who persecute us because that's a person who's probably never been blessed. We, We bless and do not curse. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And so we're meeting people's emotional and spiritual needs as well. It's a different kind of community. The apostle said something similar in Galatians. He says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. That's really important, you know, like in, in Christian community, one of the things that's unique is it actually doesn't matter if a problem is my fault or not. It actually doesn't matter if I was responsible for creating the problem. I'm still responsible to do what I can to help and to support that person. Like even if it's not my problem, it's still my responsibility. You get that? That's part of what it means to be in community together. And so I share what I have. I'll share my material goods, but I'll also share encouragement and support if a person's going through a hard time. And I'm just like, could could you think of anything more like antithetical to consumerism than this? Could you think of anything that is just more contrary to consumerism than this? And so we learn to share. Well, the last thing that I think happens in community is that we learn... To make peace, we learn to resolve conflict. We learn to become peacemakers. So I don't know if you know this or not, but um, church people sometimes have disagreements, right? Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes it's worse, and uh, we actually sin against each other. Uh, Some of you, I know, have have seen like firsthand what that's like. It happens. The offense happens. People don't talk about it because we think it's unspiritual to deal with our conflicts. And and then it creates division and it creates tension within the relationship. And eventually somebody leaves the church. And instead, we're told, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Listen to this, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, and it does... Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, and here's a quote from Proverbs, if your enemy is uh, hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. Because he's angry at you, and all that you're giving him is kindness and you're heaping burning coals on his head. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I get this wrong all the time. I say things I shouldn't, I offend people, and I hurt people, and most of the time it's accidental. But to be honest, I can be a jerk, all right? I know that about myself. And the uh, and more, re- more I realize that part of what I'm put here to do is to just, like, apologize. Like I kind of, in some ways, I feel like I've got a ministry of apologizing. And I know that I've had to apologize to many of you over the last few years. I can think of specific examples. Like I, I, I've explained like I'm how sorry I am. And if I had it to do over again, I, I, I would. And, and uh, I've asked you to forgive me. And you did. And that is a mark of a Christian community. That's a mark of a Christian community. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, bear with one another, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, that's what we're supposed to do here. But like when you're at, you know, when you're at Costco, you don't forgive the person across the counter at Costco because they messed up or they overcharged you uh, for an item. Like you demand your money back. That's just, that's kind of what we do, isn't it? Like, if, or if you, if, you, if you fail to make your membership payment to CAA, you don't get to use the service. You don't, get, you don't get to demand that they show up and change your tire. They're like, no, you didn't pay for the service. We can't forgive that. But a church is different. Okay? We believe that a price has already been paid to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other so that we can forgive one another as well if we really believe that we have been forgiven by God for all the ways that we've offended him, okay. if we really truly believe that he's forgiven us and removed every barrier between us and him, we can't possibly withhold forgiveness uh, from each other. You can't possibly do that. You can't possibly, in your heart of hearts, in your most honest moments, you can't possibly say, yeah, God has forgiven me for my sin, but I'm still going to get you for this. I'm going to make you pay you you can't not if the gospel is truly landed and so in community we become good at making peace okay at keeping short accounts at forgiving one another now we have just heard these six things that happen in community and and before i uh, wrap up what i want to do is just is pause and have a little chat with millennials okay this is there's a unique i think challenge for millennials, I'm not a millennial. I'm part of a generation called Generation X. And on my watch, the world changed. And uh, it changed all around us. All of a sudden, we had all this technology that we didn't know what to do with, but they told us that it would rot our brain. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but they told us, like, don't watch too, too much MTV. It'll rot your brain. Don't sit too close to the television set. It'll rot your brain. Don't play too much Nintendo because it'll rot your brain. Don't walk around with a Walkman on, paying no attention to the world. It'll rot your brain and on and on and on. And the challenge for my generation was to remember that a computer isn't a friend and a Walkman isn't a friend and my Nintendo isn't a friend. Actually, like take a shower once in a while, go outside, change your clothes once in a while and go and see some real people. Connect with real people because those things aren't your friends. That was the challenge for my generation, okay, in general. But that's not how it is for millennials. Millennials are the most connected generation the world has ever seen. The most connected generation ever, and they're also the most influenced by consumerism. All of the information in the world, all of the art in the world, all of the literature in the world is in your reach, And if we believe what surveys say, if we believe what the experts are saying, you're also the most aware of injustice and you're the least equipped to do anything about it. Millennials are also the least known, the least confident, the most anxious, the most depressed, and the least likely to commit to things. And so as a result... The the fastest growing religious group in our culture is a group called the nuns. And we've talked about this a little bit in our our church family. But but the nuns are not affiliated with any religious group, even though many of them actually have faith. Even many of them would embrace the, the Christian worldview. When they're asked which religious community they affiliate with, they say, none. And so what nuns do is they actually hold religious communities at arm's length. They don't commit. And this is the largest growing religious group in our culture right now. In fact, it's estimated that 50 years from now, only 50 years from now, that more than half of the population of North America will be nuns. More than half the population of North America will be nuns. And that may include many of you here in the room right now. And so please hear this from me, not as an expert, but think of me as like an older brother, okay? I'm not an expert. I'm not talking down to you. But hear this from somebody who has lost his way a few times. And I hope to spare you some suffering. There is a lot of risk in community. All right? It feels like a lot of commitment. And sometimes things go bad. And I know that some of you have experienced that. But there is a unique challenge facing you millennials and Generation Z after you. The challenge is commit. Commit. Commit anyway. I'm pleading with you to be able to say my connections are not the same as community and I need to commit. My challenge is that you would acknowledge that apart from probably apart from the Holy Spirit himself, consumerism may be the most powerful force our culture has ever seen. And it is affecting everything. It affects how you think. And your ability to think. Consumerism affects how you feel and your ability to feel. Consumerism affects who you spend time with and who you like and who you can't stand. And consumerism affects how you see the world. Consumerism has changed how you relate to the world, how you see the world. And what I'm pleading with us to do is to turn from consumerism... Turn from it and be in community with others and to stick. Even if things go wrong, even if the benefits aren't immediately clear, that's my plea. And it's for for all of us. And I really believe until we do, until we are in thick community with others where we are together regularly and where others are allowed to see us. And challenge us and change us until until that's true of us. We will never really know if we have decoupled ourselves from consumerism. You with me on that? We will never really know if we have divorced ourselves from consumerism until our community is allowed to challenge and change us. It'll never be enough. We'll never be content until we commit. And I promise you, this is what we're made for. This is what we are made for. And this is what Jesus died and rose for. This is where we learn the things that consumerism can't give us, how to to see ourselves as God does, how to relate to one another as brothers and sisters and parts of a body, how to use our gifts, how to love each other authentically and sincerely, how to share our goods and our support and encouragement with each other, how to bring peace and forgiveness and a thousand other good things that we can only experience in community. And so let me close with this. Our, our take-it-home questions for this week uh, are on the screen right now. The first one is this. Number one is, how do you think that you, like whether it's your attitudes or your ideas or your choices, how do you think that you have been affected by consumerism? How have you been affected by consumerism? Number two, how have you changed as a result of being in community? And how have others changed by being in community with you? Let me say that again. How have you changed by being in community? And how have other people changed by being in community with you? Third question, and with this I close. What evidence is there that being in community is really important to you? What evidence is there? What fruit is there in your life that being in community is really important to you? Let's pray together. thanks for listening to this message from benediction church in hamilton ontario feel free to copy and share these resources but please don't alter the content in any way we invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in hamilton as it is in heaven